around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Good evening, friends. David Langford here this afternoon, and we'd like to welcome you to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. Today is Tuesday, July the 27th, 2021, my is time rocking by so fastly, so quickly. Where do the days go? If you're a busy person like I know many of you are, your weeks are like days and your, your, your weeks are like months. It's just always something to try to encumber us and steal our time. But you always need to take time to pray and read your Bible. Don't ever get so busy that you don't spend time in prayer and in the Scriptures. That's where your help and strength is going to come from in the coming days. Because as I said in closing out yesterday, you're going to see sin become rampant in the earth. Lawlessness, Jesus said, remember this, Matthew 24, 12, and because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. How about the young kid the other day? I think it was in the state of Florida. At an intersection, he burned his tires. He laid some black marks down, and it, it spun over the LGBTQ uh, gay pride thing. And they've uh, forced this to make him a second-degree felon all because he burned rubber over the LGBTQ. God knows how many more letters they've added to the acronym. But did you notice they didn't prosecute the people tearing down the federal statutes uh, last year and the, the rioting, the Black Lives Matter? You notice how they, 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 they don't prosecute those people who tore down federal government statues, but because this kid burned some rubber, they're going to do their best to destroy him and also make him pay to have it repainted, which was about $17,000. So where's the justice? As I said yesterday in closing, had God not destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and had the two angels been just normal human beings, they would have been sodomized and raped and they would have never seen any justice. No, sir, because that's how evil, and that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't believe you understand how bad it's going to get. You know, everybody said, this is the end, this is the end, this is the end. I wish it were. I wish it would be no, no worse than what it is. But there's things coming down the pike that the people of God are just not prepared for, and they're going to keep saying, don't worry, you're going to be out of here. Don't worry, you're going to be out of here. When they're not, they're going to go through great tribulation and suffer the wrath of Satan, that not of Jehovah. I do want to make mention, until we get there, the revival meeting in Fort Mill, South Carolina, at Heritage USA, September the 30th through October the 3rd. 
We invite you humbly to please register, come and attend, and receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm looking for this to be a time of revival, a time of revival. God wants to revive us. We're going to need the touch of God in the coming days. You may not believe that, but you're going to need the strength of God. And most of the stuff that you're listening to, that you're reading, it's not going to help you in the day of trouble. It's, it's not going to do you any good. You know, all the stuff, and that's all it is. It's just stuff. It's not going to help you in the day of trouble. And those who espouse all of this stuff, what is sad and tragic is we're not going to be here, but we're going to write books about it, and we're going to do DVDs, and we're going to do all of this stuff about this mess, but we're not going to be here. See, I don't, I don't, it's like preparing for a storm when there is no storm. What, you, you say, get ready for a hurricane, but then I'm not going to be here. It's not going to bother me, but get ready for it. it. It doesn't make common sense reasoning to me to have all this purported knowledge and say, but in the end, it's not applicable to you because you're not going to be here. I wish they were true. But I've come to understand from the Word of God, those things are not true. I want to play a beautiful song today by the Guardians entitled, I Wish I Could Tell You. The saving grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ is so dynamic, so vast, and so great, so magnanimous. I wish I could tell you just how great it is. I found my deliverance at an altar of prayer. I knelt down and left all my burdens there. His blood washed me white as snow. I wish I could tell you. I came up shouting with a new from my head to my toes, I felt holy fire. It was joy unspeakable. Oh, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you all about God's glory. I wish I could tell you, but you gotta live the story. My power and love, His mercy and grace. I'll tell you how the Savior died to take my place. I wish I could tell you Seven times in my life when I needed a friend He's walked right beside me to the very end He's closer than a brother Oh, I wish I could tell you I wish I could tell you When the valley got low and the mountain got high He gave me a reason to testify I can't live without him Savior died to take my place, but I can't explain it, I can't describe it, Lord knows I can't deny it. All I know is every word 
closer than a brother, he's more than kin. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. There's no one like Whoa. him. Oh, I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. Savior, deliverer, redeemer, and friend. There is none above him. Yeah, we try to tell it. We try to tell it here at the Voice of Evangelism because we believe in the power of the Word of God. We believe in the power of the resurrection of Christ. We believe in the power of the Holy Ghost of God that sets men free. You know, we're one of the few voices in America that preaches uncompromisingly. We preach dedication, consecration, prayer, fasting, there are others that preach it, but they're in small churches. They don't have a platform. They don't have a venue to preach uncompromisingly because that's not what people want to hear. But I'm not in it for what people want to hear or don't want to hear. I am in it because God called me to preach the word in season and out of season to reprove and to rebuke. Do you hear that anymore? Reproving people, rebuking people, exhorting people? No. Life coaches, worthless life coaches. Oh, but Brother Langford, they're doing good. What kind of good are they doing if people still die and go to hell? What kind of good do all of these charlatans do Christianity, if people end up losing their souls, what good did it do? Mark 8, 36, 37, what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? What good does it do to, 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 to have a Mercedes Benz and, and a, and a million-dollar house and go to hell? What good? I had dinner with a couple some weeks back, <laughs> and they happened to go to a liberal church. And I, uh, sitting there, began to preach the word, and I could see the lady, her, the countenance of her face was changing. She did not like what I was saying, but her husband said, keep on, brother, you're telling the truth. She didn't like it. Because she listens to Joyce Myers, and she listens to Joey Osteen. That's not going to help you in the day of trouble, folks. You need the meat of the Word of God, not milk and remain a babe in Christ. Why don't Christians grow up and get ready 
for the greatest end-time revival. Oh, I forgot you're not going to be here, are you? The greatest revival that the world has ever seen is yet to come, and it will come because God said, I'm going to pour out of my spirit upon all flesh in the last days. I'm going to do it, God says. I'm going to do it. Sometimes I wish he'd hurry up, but I'm hastening the tribulation period for that to happen, but it also is hastening the day, the coming of the Lord God. Amen. We want to pick up today here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 10. For in that he, Christ died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. When Christ died, he was made subject to death, relative to death, the nature of death, and the curse of sin. I want you to get that. For in that he died... He died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, when he's living unto God, means it's eternal. God does not die. As a man, Jesus died. But the God that was in him never ceased to exist, just like the soul and, and spirit in you never ceased to exist. Though your flesh may die, be put into a casket and buried in the earth. I quote this verse often because I want people to understand the, the dichotomy of Christ's lordship and Christ's humanity. Hebrews 2, 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Did you know Christ tasted death for me? He tasted death for you. So Paul says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Angels do not die. They are eternal creatures. They have a spirit. They don't have a soul. God didn't breathe into them. That's what makes man different than anything else. God breathed into him, and he became a living soul. The cherubim, the seraphim, they have spirits. A dog, a cat, they have a spirit. They don't have a soul. The soul came from God's breath. That was the eternal part. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. In other words, he was made lower so he could suffer be allowed to die. See, this salvation is, is, is really, in one sense, I don't, I don't want to be controversial here, but it is complicated in a sense, yet it is so simple in another sense. But it's complicated trying to understand the reasoning behind all of this stuff, just like the, the, the brutality of the crucifixion, the barbarity of the crucifixion, and then the glory of the resurrection. It's like these, these, these are so far removed one from the other. Why? God's most valued creation fell into sin because of disobedience to God, Elohim in the garden. Sin and death was passed on to every one of us, not just us, but every other part of God's creation. That element of death is a reality. Nobody lives forever in this natural body. 
Men seek it, men pursue it, but it'll never happen. You know, I saw something the other day that was just really asinine. Uh, it's over in China. They, they, were, they were touting that they put a, a, a uterus in a male rat and it birthed mice. Well, here's, here's what they don't want you to know. They co-joined a female rat to the male rat. They sewed them together. So all the chemicals, estrogen, progesterone, all of those things, and the female were going into the male rat. And so they said the male rat had a, a mouse. See, that's, that's a lie. That, that, that is a, 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 a bald-faced lie. Cut that female rat off of him where they joined them together. They were co-joined. And you know what? Now he won't get the estrogen. He won't get the progesterone. He won't get the other uh, chemicals from the brain for uh, birthing a, my, a, a, a mouse. Not going to happen. You see, man is doing what God said they would do in Romans 1, 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, this, this is the horror of, of, of men messing with creation and, and what God has done and tampering with. It's evil. And they're going to do this, and it will exponentially get worse. You will see more bizarre uh, things in the end. I mean, just like all this garbage about transgenderism. I saw the, you probably saw it too, where some uh, guy, he claims he's a woman, now he's weightlifting in the Olympics. Folks, it's not a woman. And they're determined to brainwash you and I and make us believe that mess. I'm not going to believe it because it's a lie. Paul goes on to Romans 1 and 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Do you not see how they're changing truth into a lie? They're saying a male rat had a mouse. It's not true. If it was true, why did you co-join a female rat to his body? Sewed them together so that the same chemicals from the female rat would circulate through his blood system. So they're changing the truth of God's word into a lie. They're trying to change everything. Why? Because they're perverted. They're distorted. They are evil. They are wicked as hell itself. Then he goes on in verse 28, Romans 1, 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. When you become reprobate, you are able to do anything outside of normal, and say, no, it's okay. It's the truth. It's real. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now they say, God made me this way. Well, let's go back to Genesis and look at creation. He made them male and female. I don't see the word transgenderism in creation. God didn't do that. You can take and put a thousand bulls in a pasture. You can come back in a thousand years, and you know what you're going to see? Nothing. Every one of those suckers are going to be dead. They won't be one alive. Why? There's no procreation. You can take a thousand heifers, put them in a pasture, come back in a thousand years. You don't even have to wait that long. 
come back in, in uh, 25, 30 years. It's about the life expectancy of a cow. Guess what? This is not, all you're going to see out there is a bunch of bones. It don't work. And I'm not going to be so foolish and allow people to try to trick me into believing no, there, there is such a thing as transgenderism. That's a lie straight out of hell. And regrettably, because there's not enough Holy Ghost preaching and teaching in the pulpits today, people are beginning to believe this stuff. Well, there's a little evidence there, I think. Also, now you're a scientist. Stay in the bounds of reason. It's not true. It is not a reality. They're changing everything, and it's all for the worse of humanity. Let me get back on my subject. I don't want to be preaching today. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Jesus was made lower than angels so he could die. And he died unto sin once, one time. That, that, that sacrifice he made was more than enough. It was not like the past sacrifices under the law. Those past sacrifices didn't give eternal redemption. It gave parenthetical uh, time of redemption. Then the next year, you had to do it again as far as the Day of Atonement. They, they made daily sacrifices all the time, but I'm talking about the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go in there and put the blood on the mercy seat over top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ became sin. He, he knew no sin. You know sin. I know sin. We have been sinners. We have tasted sin. We have exercised in sin. We have manifest our sin. Why? Before we were redeemed, that was all we knew. That's the sin nature. Sinners sin, not Christians. I just shared that the other day. You got to live in Christ and not live a life of sin. Now, Christ died by taking on the form of a human being. Remember, Christ is God. He took on the form of a human being. He sweated, he bled, he thirsted, he hungered. He had all the attributes of humanity. Remember Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, after the temptation, says, and he afterward hungered. He afterward hungered. So, he just like a human being, he, he became hungry after 40 days of fasting. He, he, that's, that's, the, that's the natural process. You, you become hungry. We see in the fourth chapter of the book of uh, John, it said he was wearied with his journey. As a man, he became weary. He became tired. Now, we know he said to the woman at the well, give me to drink because he was thirsty in the natural, but he was leading her into a place of redemption for her lost soul. As God, he walked on water. 
As a man, he rode in boats. I'm, I'm trying to get you to see his humanity, yet his deity co-mingled into one. That's, that is so far-reaching in, 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 in our reasoning, our understanding. On the cross, he said, I thirst. And they, they tried to shove uh, vinegar and gall into in him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't drink it. He wouldn't take it. But that was the humanity in him. But as a man, he physically, literally died. But as God, he rose again. This all had to take place for the purpose of redeeming everything that Adam had forfeited and lost in the garden. Now, I can't sit here and, and, and give you a thorough explanation when God knew before the foundation of the world that Jesus was going to be slain and die before all of this came to fruition. I, but that's God's foreknowledge. The Greek there is prognosis. You, you ask the doctor, what's my prognosis? You're saying to the physicians, give me foreknowledge of what you think my outcome will be after this surgery. Uh, you'll be great. Whatever. You see, God before the fall, was in communion with man all the time. Now, as Christians, sometimes we sense the presence of God. We feel the Holy Ghost. We feel that God is right there. You know, sometimes you don't feel that, do you? But you know he's there by faith. See, because you are redeemed, you know God is there. You know you have a relationship with him, but you may not sometimes feel that. And that's why we're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. We know God is there. How, do we, how can you be so adamant, Pastor? Because he said, I'll never leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. He said, I'll never leave you. So just because right now you don't feel God, you don't feel the Holy Spirit brooding over you, you don't feel the goosebumps, the little uh, the tingling down the spine and on the crown of your head, God is still there. He's not going anywhere. He said, I'll never leave you. It's we who leave God. When you look at Adam in the garden, we have no idea the true gravity of what he wasted or, or, or threw away. I don't know that we can understand what he forfeited. You know, because when we're born, we're born as sinners. David said, I was conceived in iniquity, not that his mother was an adulterous woman, but that we are all in conception. There's sin. That Adamic nature is in my loins. I passed it on to my four children. But every, every day, or let me say on a regular basis, Adam communed with God, Elohim. Genesis 2, 
verses 15 and 16 says, And the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Everything was free except this one tree, good and of evil. Now, why did God do that? So that man would have a choice. Do you love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind, and you want to serve me because you love me, or is it not really in your heart to serve me at all? So Adam, every day, and Eve, had an opportunity to make a decision. I'll obey God, but I don't have to obey God. I can sin. I, I can do something that I shouldn't do. And, of course, the devil comes along and manipulates Eve. She was deceived, Paul said. She partook of the fruit and she gave it to his husband and he ate. Adam had an unfathomable relationship with God. But in a moment of time, all of that was lost. It was just, it was just taken away, just totally removed. You might say Adam became a vagabond. All men, in a sense, are vagabonds. We, 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 we are born estranged from God. And God in his mercy, love, and grace says, I can't leave them in that state. I've got to provide a measure, a means of redemption for that that has been lost. And the way that God redeemed that was through his only begotten son. And Jesus is a, Jesus is, is more than a reflection Jesus came from the heart of God. And we're not talking cardio, the physical beat of a, of a person's heart. This is, this is the, the, the center of, of God himself, his, his emotions. God has emotions. He gets angry. Psalm 7, 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. So God, to redeem man, gave from his heart his son. Jesus is a manifestation of God. Now, I know there are those who are critical of the Trinity. They don't believe in three manifestations of God, but I do. I don't, I don't believe Jesus was talking to himself in the garden. He could have walked away as a man and said, I'm not going through this. But he prayed to the Father to let the cup pass, remove the cup, do something else. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, Jesus submitted his will. Shows a separation there, folks. He had a will too, just like Adam had a will. Eat of the forbidden fruit or not. Jesus had a will. But he submitted his will to the Father. If at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And it's like kind of on a Father's Day. My wife says, what do, you, what, what do you want for Father's Day? What do you want to eat Sunday? What, 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 what do you want me to fix? In other words, she is submitting to my will. She, she may want fried chicken. I say, no, I want a steak. I want a, I want a fish. What, what do you will? But wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to be no longer twain but one flesh because we've been married 40-some years. What's the deal here? Because we still have a will. Jesus had a will, but he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He submitted his will unto the Father's will. You've heard me teach on this briefly, not thoroughly, but I've, I've brought it up. At the end of the millennial reign of Christ, when everything has been ultimately reconciled, Jesus Christ is going to give everything back to the Father once it has all been redeemed and all been put in order. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 through 28. This happens after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ because, see, death will even have, have, have authority up to that point. So 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. There will be death in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Even those who lead a rebellion in Revelation chapter 20, when Satan is loosed from the bottomless pit after 1,000 years, after he's been loosed, he's going to go up to Jerusalem to the breadth of the camp. He's going to lead a rebellion. People are going to rebel with him, and then God's going to send fire down from heaven and devour them, and they'll all die and go to hell because they were rebels. It will be then we go into the eternity. And, of course, I should say we have the great white throne judgment just prior to eternity, but we go in Revelation 20 to the end of that chapter, we have the great white throne. That's when death and hell will both be cast into the lake of fire. That's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15 and 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. See, everything's got to ultimately be subdued under Christ for Christ to have conquered everything thoroughly. Nothing will be left unconquered. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifested that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Here's the key verse, 28. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son, Jesus, also himself be subject unto him, the Father, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So you have to understand Jesus is subject to the Father. And Paul makes that adamantly clear here. Jesus makes it clear in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. I know as a man, I have a will. I don't want that to be wrought. I want thy will to be done. Jesus, Paul says here, when all things shall be subdued, everything will be subjected unto him, Christ, then shall the Son also himself be subject. Who is Jesus subject to? It's the Father. 
I, I don't understand how people can read these verses and, and want to say, that, that, that's, that's, that's all wrong. Hebrews 1.1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So before Christ, God the Father spoke to humanity through the prophets, but now speaks to us through his Son. I don't understand what's so difficult about this. Then shall the Son also himself be subject, be subject unto him that put all things under him. The Father gave him the authority that everything can be put under him, that God may be all in all. So in the end, after everything is redeemed, everything is reconciled, everything has been put under the feet of Christ, he renders it back to the Father in its absolute, you might say, perfect, full, complete redemption. Nothing was lost. All was redeemed. Do I understand all of that? No, sir. God's going to redeem the earth. Cremate it. But what I do understand, I understand God has a plan. And Adam sinned. Adam transgressed. Adam forfeited everything that God gave Adam. Adam said, here it is. I don't care. So the Bible teaches us that Adam was a man, Adam, Adam. Christ was in similitude or in likeness to the first Adam so that he could redeem, restore, and bring everything back in its right, rightful place and be correct when it's given back to the Father. It's, it's, it's not all finished yet. Now, the, the finished plan of salvation is, is fully complete and done. But not everything has been fully redeemed yet. You've not been redeemed physically. I've not been redeemed physically. I've been redeemed by the Spirit of God. My spirit is redeemed. I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be saved. <laughs> but I look in the mirror every day and I say, oh, David, your face needs to be saved too, buddy. Because it's, it's looking bad. It's looking worse every day. Another wrinkle, another gray hair, et cetera, et cetera. But that too will one day be redeemed. And that will not be the end of it either. When you and I are redeemed and in these glorified bodies, that's not the end. The end will be when there's a cremation of heavens and the earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And then we go into eternity. We go into eternity. Think about it. Not even a germ. That's when everything has been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and given back to the Father in its fullness and in its completeness. So let me get back where I started about 10 minutes ago. Jesus came from the Father's bosom. That's why he's God. He's a part of God. He's a piece of God. He's all God, but there's more left, you might say. You got a cake, here's a piece of cake, but there's a whole lot more cake left. That may be a poor analogy, but there's more left because you can't exhaust God. So God gave us Jesus from his heart, John 1, verse 18. 
No man hath seen God at any time. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was God. That's right. But you've never seen the Father. Every time you've ever seen God, it was manifest through the Son. Again, John 1, verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared or revealed him. Jesus is a revelation of the Father. The love, the mercy, the forgiveness, the redemption, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus is a manifestation of that from God. I hope I'm not confusing anyone today. Now, if you've been taught scripturally wrong, you may think I'm convoluted. You may think I'm saying things that are skewed, but I'm not. Because Jesus came from the Father's bosom. Well, where is God? First of all, John says, no man hath seen God at any time. Moses wanted to see God. He said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by you. The Bible said he saw his hinder part. Can anybody define what his hinder part is? God's not a man. He didn't see the hinder part as a human being. It was just the hinder part of God whom no man has ever seen. See, this, the, the things I'm teaching you and telling you are so far-reaching, and of course, we most people don't care today to, to really thoroughly search the Scriptures and keep digging and digging and digging and digging because they think they've already arrived, so they quit digging. They don't go any further with God, but I'm telling you, there's more. 1 Timothy 6 and 16, who only hath, talking about God, immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see. You can't see God, but you can see Jesus. Stephen said, I see Jesus. You know, one of the great revelations to me that cleared up a lot of answers was John, uh, Revelation chapter 5. You see the elders, John sees the elders, he sees the book with seven seals, he sees the lamb. But he never saw who was on the throne. And Jesus walks over there, and the Bible is clear. He takes the book out of the hand of him that sat upon the throne. But you never see who's there, do you? Revelation 5 and verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But he never saw God, but he saw Jesus. Stephen identifies him as though is as, as having a right hand. John sees the right hand. He sees the book, but he doesn't ever, he's never able to see who the personage is that gives the book to Christ. But that's God. But see, that's, that again, that is, a, that is a small part of God because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's omnipresent. We finite worldlings regrettably think we have it all figured out and you know, if, 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 if God is a trillionth in a measuring instrument, a trillionth feet 
We're 164th of an inch. 164th of an inch. That's how much that's how much more father and greater God is. And these little old pea brains are trying to figure all this stuff out. And when you read the Bible, you're thinking, my Lord God in heaven, why don't we see deeper things? Why don't we go? Because people don't care. Saved and satisfied. I got a, a letter from a lady the other day. She said, thank God you told the truth about once saved, always saved. It ain't true. I said, that's right. It's not true. I'm not trying to be ugly and bash uh, Baptist people who believe that. Now, the Baptist I embrace theologically is the uh, free will Baptist. They believe you have free will. That's what that means. The people who say I'm a free will Baptist, they that's their doctrine. I, we believe in free will. You can you can do what you want to do. You can lose your salvation. You can stay in Christ. You can do whatever because you have free will. I see. I believe that. I'm an adult man. I'm 66 years of age. I got. I can do what I want to do. <laughs> yes, sir. I can go get me a case of RC Cola and sit down and drink every one of them. Not going to do it, but if I wanted to, I could. Well, I have free will. I could go get me a whole box of Reese peanut butter cups and eat every one of them. Yeah, buddy. But I'm not going to do it. But I have free will. The fact that Jesus came from the Father's bosom means that Jesus is just like the Father. Jesus is just like the Father. That's why he was conceived through the Holy Ghost. His, his, his character, his nature, everything was like God the Father. You know, without a doubt, Jesus did not possess genetics of Joseph. Well, he's, he's got his father's eyes. He's got his father's nose. He's got his father's cheekbones. He's got his father's smile. When you see Jesus Christ and you read about him in the Gospels, everything that you read about is in, di is in direct relationship to the Father. Every, every, everything you read about. Why? Because he came from the Father's bosom and he's just like the Father. Because he's God. Remember, Philip, you know, we're a lot like Philip. All of us are a lot like Philip. Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Father. I love the profound wisdom of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 8, he said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. I'm trying to get you to understand, if, if, if we would have been here in the days he walked the earth. What you saw in Christ is what you would see in the Father, but no man has seen God. That's the fullness of God. Jesus is just a measure of God. Stephen, he, in other words, he's, he's saying, okay, I see you, but now I want to see the Father over here. I, I want to see the difference Oh, there is no difference. He said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, you see, the human brain says, I don't understand that. 
I, I, I hope I don't sound arrogant and pompous and prideful here. I understand that because I understand Jesus is God because when I see Jesus through the scriptures, uh, through the call on my life when I was a little boy and the brightness came, I never seen Jesus. I just saw the brightness. I knew who it was, just like Paul. He, he never seen Jesus in that uh, Damascus Road uh, conversion in Acts chapter 9, but yet he calls him Lord. See, innately, you just know. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? That's an oxymoron. Who art thou, Lord? You call him Lord, but you say, who are you? That's the, it's almost like Paul was stuttering. He didn't know how to speak to God. Jesus is all God. And Jesus says simply and as elementary as possible to Philip, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There will be no difference. There will be no variation. That was James' phrase. In whom there is no variableness, neither is there shadow of turning. What you've seen in me, you would see the exact same thing in God. I always marvel at some of the statements, just like Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, these, these, these men described God, the Father, just as God. But they could delineate, they could see the difference in the Son. Uh, Acts 7 and 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, I be, I, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He's establishing something that's different there. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's what Jesus said to Nathaniel. I saw you under the tree. You, the tree, two separate entities. Now, God the Father, God the Son are not separate entities. They're, they're, they're one. And, and so our humanity, we just were like, oh, man, this is too much, too much to understand. Stephen said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He, he, he pointed out there's a difference here. But the bottom line at the close of the day, when you see Jesus, you have seen God. That's, that's what you would see. But yet Stephen, excuse me, Jesus said it, Paul said it, no man's ever seen God. In closing today, when Jesus forgives, when Jesus redeems, he leaves nothing undone in that person's life. Now, it's up to us to grow. I want you to understand that. It's up to us to grow. But when Christ cleanses you, forgives you, redeems you, saves you, restores you, 
you're as saved and forgiven as you're ever going to be. And I know there will be those who will say, no, you did pray in the altar and you gave your part of your heart to God, but you, you got some other things you got to go through yet. Don't let nobody tell you that. That's not true. That's just not true. When you get it from your knees in an altar of prayer, you are as redeemed as you're ever going to be redeemed. You're as saved as you're ever going to be saved. Now, you immediately should grow in grace and in knowledge. You should start growing exponentially. I mean, the things I'm talking about, I think about going back when I first started preaching. You know, my sermons had to be pathetic. They're probably, to some of you, they're pathetic today. <laughs> you say, that is a jack leg himself and calling others a jack leg. I look back at some of my old sermons and I look at them and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You actually preach that? You actually preach that? Immature, a novice, not understanding. You see, that's why I said you got to keep growing in grace and in knowledge. You got to keep maturing. And 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 as you mature, your your knowledge and wisdom in God let you see things that you just don't see. It's almost God suffers us a measure of of, of brilliance. He, he lets us see further into the deeper things. Listen. Had Paul the apostle, he said, some of the things I saw, they're unlawful for me to speak. You don't, you don't believe what I'm telling you now. Jesus said the same thing. You, you don't believe what I'm telling you now. If, I, if I'm telling you these things and you don't believe, if I start telling you heavenly things, I know you're not going to believe those things. They're, they're going to be so far-reaching. When Jesus saves you, it's a new chapter. It's a new, it's a new state and place in your life. Old things have, ha have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and, and it might be better said they're becoming new. Now things have got to start changing in your life, your lifestyle, your dress, your speech, your attitude, what you watch, what you don't watch, where you go, where you don't go. All of those things begin to change in our lives. Why? If Christ is in us, he's changing us. He's conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. That's, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, having a place of residence in our hearts. He's there to, to comfort us, to guide us, to direct us. He's there to grow, to change us for better. And sadly, a lot of people don't ever change. They don't ever get any better. They never go any deeper in the Lord. They just, they just stay the same. You know, if you're growing in the word of God, you have to change. I don't want to change. Listen, there's nobody that dislikes change any more than me. I do not like change. I'm a K-I-S-S, -S, keep it simple, stupid. That's the kind of person I am. But when it comes to spiritual things and the Word of God, as you grow in grace and in knowledge, you have to change to keep growing. It's like raising children. You know, you start out A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Well, we'll, we'll do that to your 18-year-old. 
dad, and I'm 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 18 now. I, I don't you don't need to sing the alphabet to me. So now we're on a different plateau. We're at a different plane, thinking. Knowledge has increased. So now, we to keep being challenged, we have to go further. I, I believe God wants to challenge every one of us in a deeper way in Him. He wants to challenge you in the Word in a deeper way. He wants to challenge you in the leadership of the Holy Spirit in a deeper way. And regrettably, many times we're just we're, we're superficial. We just we just regrettably we don't go further with God. We don't go further. We don't go deeper. And I have no fear of falling into uh, deception. And being deceived if I stay in the word. See, the word will keep that from not happening. He won't allow that to happen. He won't suffer that to happen because you're staying in the word of God. It's when you get out of God's word, when you fall into those things, it's when you're not able to see more deeply into the word and you you listen to what somebody else says other than what the Bible says. Listen, I'm not the authority here. I want you to understand that. I am never the authority here. I have authority, but I'm not the authority. The Word of God is the authority. The Holy Spirit is the authority, not the man. Not the man. The Word. When I'm dead and gone, the Word of God will still be alive and quickening power. What makes the Word of God so powerful? It is the Word of God, and it is anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the authority. That's why the elders said to the disciples in Acts, by what authority and by whose name are you doing this stuff? Jesus. That's where the authority was in Jesus. Please go register for our upcoming revival at Heritage USA, Fort Mill, South Carolina, September the 30th to October the 3rd. God bless you. I'll see you next week. In the Lord Jesus Christ. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.